Testament. Psalm 27, if you find that, then also John chapter 16. John chapter 16 is where we'll be first. John chapter 16, and then Psalm chapter 27 will be there in just a moment. And uh, appreciate you being here today, this morning. Tonight we get to hear a review and a recap of the, a, the admissions trip that college and career took to Brazil. And so we're looking forward to that. And so I hope you'll join us back tonight as uh, join us once again tonight as we hear about the missions trip to Brazil, the College of Career with the Coopers that took that, we're excited about it. This morning, I want to share with you a message simply entitled this, What to Do in Times of Trouble and Tribulations. What to do in times of troubles and tribulations. John chapter 16, we'll read a, a verse there in a moment. One of the most uh, noted English um, poets, writers, was a gentleman by the name of William Cooper, okay? I remember all through high school, I used to call him William Cowper, because it looks that way, right? And it's technically pronounced Cooper and uh, such, but William Cooper, and he lived from 1731 to 1800. He was actually a close friend of John Newton. John Newton is who gave us Amazing Grace and some other hymns and such, and, and in fact, John Newton served as his pastor, uh, William uh, Cooper's pastor for some years, and they even collaborated on some hymns together and, and such, uh, writing them, um, William Cooper, some of his texts are in there. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but he was an ardent abolitionist. He wrote against slavery quite often. And uh, as I said, he wrote several hymns himself. He collaborated with John Newton. Probably the one that we would be most familiar with would be the hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And uh, uh, that uh, he gave us the wording, uh, the verbiage of that. Yet, History would tell us that one of the things that is best known about William Cooper is his life was full of dark storms, tragedies, full of difficult bouts with depression. Certainly something we may not want to talk about much and such, but he struggled with it. At age six, his mother passed away, and it was an event that, that stayed with him for many, many years. In fact, it was 50-some years later, he actually wrote a poem about his mother in his childhood, remembering her because he had been so affected by the passing of his mother when he was six years old. It's been established historically that he suffered from chronic depression. He, he even experienced a mental illness at times throughout his life. As a young man, he was even institutionalized for insanity. There were several occasions he even tried to take his own life. In fact, once he come to, came to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he was saved. He still wrestled with nightmares of being predestined and doomed to eternal damnation by God. Throughout his life, he would go back and forth into dark seasons of depression, which sometimes led him to once again put in, being put into asylums and, and uh, having and facing mental health issues. Often, his writing, his poems would reflect the struggles that were internalized there. Uh, one statement that he wrote in a, in a writing was this, In a fleshly tomb, I am buried above ground. It's a quite descriptive phrase to, uh, to describe the turmoil, the struggles that were going in in his own heart and soul. In his adult life, he would also lose a brother that affected him greatly. Then in 1796, he lost a very dear friend who had nursed him many times throughout his life, along with John Newton. In fact, John Newton had brought him into his home you know, uh, for different years to just to minister to him, to help him in different ways. But he had lost a dear friend who, alongside John Newton, had ministered to him. He really never recovered from that loss. He died just four years later in 1800. 
During those four years, he wrote what many believed to be his last work. It was entitled The Castaway. The Castaway is a story of a sailor who is on a boat and he's out on the sea and he's lost at sea. A storm comes up and the the winds and the waves, uh, the winds blow, the waves rise up and they wash him off the deck of the boat. He's taken overboard in the storm. It's quite a um, descriptive story and poem. But when you come to the last stanza, it reveals that the subject matter really isn't just the sailor. But it was William Cooper himself. Here's what he wrote as he came to the last stanza. He said this, No voice divine the storm allayed, No light propitious shone, When snatched from all the effectual aid, We perished each alone. But I beneath a rougher sea, Enwhelmed or overwhelmed In deeper gulfs than he. I like the last statement because, uh, or I find it interesting would be a better way to put it. It shows that in William Cooper's heart, soul, he was overwhelmed. You ever find yourself overwhelmed? Uh, As he puts it here, he's overwhelmed in deeper gulfs, deeper waves of life than than that sailor in the story. He he found himself amidst troubles and and tragedies and, and, and tribulations that were present. Just being overwhelmed, overcome. And yet it reminds us that even our Savior, He gave a prognosis of such truth in our lives. In a very personal and touching interaction and conversation that Jesus Christ has with the disciples, uh, He says something to them here in John 16. He, He informs them of what life was going to be like. Look at John chapter 16. Look at verse number 33, if you will, with me. John 16, 33. Christ says, These things I have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. You'll have troubles. You're going to have problems in this life, in this world. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, what I like about this verse most is that Jesus Christ uses what we call the sandwich method. What's the sandwich method? Well, you say something good, then you insert the bad in the middle, and you, you say something good at the end, right? Like the meat's the bad, the bread is the, or the, bread is the good. That's what he does here. He uses the sandwich method here. He says, listen, number one, as he starts out the voice, these things I've spoken that ye might have peace. That's wonderful. You can have peace in God. But then he says, the reason you're going to need peace, the reason you're going to have to depend on me for peace is because the world is going to be full of troubles and tribulations. There are going to be storms and waves that overcome you, that overwhelm you, that you are tempted to, to sink in, to drown in here in life. And then he comes at the end, he says, but, but be of good cheer. Me as your Savior, I have overcome the world. And because you're mine, I will give you everything that you need to do likewise. And I find it also interesting, Solomon, he, we know him to be the wisest man that, that ever lived. Certainly God imparted to him great wisdom. He also pointed out that life is full of vexation, didn't he? In fact, uh, if you, as you read Solomon here, here's an example. Ecclesiastes 2.7, he says this, Therefore I hated life. Well, this is just an encouraging fellow, isn't he? 
Therefore, I hated life. Why? Because the work that is wrought under the sin is grievous unto me, for all, and he's speaking of life, all is vanity, it is vexation of spirit. And as you read the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, you're like, man, this is a depressed guy. This is a guy that's, boy, he's discouraged. He is overwhelmed by life. It didn't turn out the way he wanted. Boy, Solomon could very much be in the same boat as William Cooper. He had bouts and struggles with, no doubt, hopelessness and depression. Now, you and I well know that Solomon's was caused because he drifted away from the way of God. And life lost its meaning and purpose and direction. And boy, life without meaning and purpose and direction will land you exactly where William Cooper was and Solomon was. Despairing of life. Overwhelmed. And away from the one anchor that can secure you in every storm. David, too, was a man who was no stranger to times of trouble. As you and I sit here today, I, I'm certainly aware that there are many here going through times of trouble. You are facing troubles and tribulations in different ways and as each and every one of us are. David, too, faced all kinds of troubles and tribulations. And as we turn over here to Psalm chapter 27, if you'll turn with me there, as we look at Psalm chapter 27, David does something in this psalm. He alludes to several types or kinds of troubles and tribulations that he faces in his life. And so I don't know about you, I like, I like studying the lives of um, the saints of old other believers and i like i like hearing about okay here's some things that i struggle with or that i faced a temptation i face because you and i will face similar ones there's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man so as we turn over here to psalm chapter 27 david's going to speak of several different types of troubles and tribulations he faced in his life and i would challenge you this morning can you identify with David in any of these? Can, can you, like certainly William Cooper could have, Solomon, can you identify and say, you know what, I've experienced that this week. I, I've experienced that this year. I too, like David, have gone through a time like that. And maybe even today as you sit here, reality is there's a, a trouble or a tribulation you're experiencing right now that would equate to what David espouses here in Psalm chapter 27. Notice with me, if you will, look at verse number 1 of chapter 27. He says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? Or whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of uh, my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Can I ask you this question? Is there anything in your life that you are ever afraid or fearful over? Is there anything in your life that you're ever afraid or fearful over? It could be a, a, a doctor's visit. It could be a financial issue. It could be a job situation. It, it could be something even greater than that. And, and maybe you fear for your life or whatever the case may be. Is there a, a, a something in your life, maybe even right now, that you're afraid or fearful of? See, David was. David had times of fear. He faced many fearful events in his life. During one of those, you remember what he wrote? He said this, notice it. What time I am afraid. Not if I'm afraid, not, not maybe perchance. No, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I am afraid. He says it out. He says, you know, there's times I fear in my life. I'm not sure about this. I just not, I'm not certain. I'm, I'm a little scared, scared. I'm a little fearful. I'm a little afraid of this. David's honest. There's things that he has feared. 
There are times in his life that fear threatened to overtake him and overwhelm him. Let's be honest this morning, in each of us, in our lives, things come our way that can cause us to fear. Are you afraid of something this morning? Is there something going on in your life, a trial, a a trouble that, that has caused some fear to develop in your heart? Well, stay tuned. We'll see how David faced and handled it in just a moment. But look at verse 2 and 3. Notice what else David faced in his life. He says this, verse 2, When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Verse 3, Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Are you ever afraid or fearful over something? Number two, are you ever feeling others are against you? He speaks of his enemies. He speaks of those that, that are against him, opposed to him. David surely experienced that in his life. They were often unprovoked and unexplainable. There were those in his life that simply didn't like him, those that opposed him every step of the way of his journey, those that wanted him to see him destroyed, to be consumed. And I, I like how he describes that. They came upon me to eat up my flesh. They wanted to consume me. They wanted to tear me down. They wanted to affect me greatly. Some even waged a constant war on him. He would often write of the vexation of his soul and spirit due to the actions and words of others. It it was really his life was an endless uh, story of people vexing him and and challenging him and attempting to take his life from uh, his king who he served to his very son who wanted to usurp the kingdom from him later in life. Paul would at times Continually, it would seem, have people that were out to cause him pain, cause him hurt. And sadly, the same is often true for us in this life. Our souls and our spirits can be vexed greatly by the treatment of others. This morning, do you find yourself there? Do you feel right now you're going through a time or a tribulation where it seems like someone's against you, like someone's opposed to you, they've caused you hurt, they've caused you harm? David experienced it. That's not all. We look at verse number 5. Notice what David writes. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle uh, shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. See, there's times that David was fearful. He, he, he was afraid. There were times that he, he was felt to be overwhelmed by the, the treatment of others and how they vexed his soul and spirit. But also, number three, do you, do you ever find yourself navigating times of personal trouble? Maybe most don't know what you're going through, but there is a trouble and a trial. There's a tribulation that, that you're having to navigate. It sure seemed like David's life was an endless chain of, as he would describe, times of trouble. When we consider the entirety of his life, we would probably conclude from a human perspective that he had very few times of peace. At least on the outside, in the physical realm, it seemed like David was, was not at peace for very long. Verse 5 here states, like, it's a known fact that, like Christ said, that it's going to be a normal part of everyday life for us. What is that? Well, trials and tribulations will be our earthly companions. 
David speaks of them like they're just common, run-of-the-mill. It's going to happen. It's just normal. It's going to be part of life for you and I. Times of troubles and tribulations and difficulties. Things in our life that we have to deal with. Problems and issues that come up. Pressures that are there on a daily basis. And David says, they're going to come up. You're going to have times of trouble that you and I have to navigate. They are inevitable, David would write. This morning, are you even in what you would term a time of trouble? Facing a difficulty, a struggle, a, a time where it just seems like it's overwhelming. David certainly faced that. In a moment, we'll see how he dealt with it, how he handled it. But look at verse number 10 now with me, if you will. Let's add another one. This is quite an unusual one or, or insightful, probably a better description. Look at verse 10. When my mother and my mother, or my father, excuse me, and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Now get this, what does David experience in his life? He says, there's times I'm fearful, there's times I'm afraid, there's times that others seem out against me, no one, they're just trying to bring me down. There's also times where there's times of trouble. Boy, it just seems every time I turn around, there's just trouble in my life, there's something I've got to deal with. And then he comes to verse 10, he says, you know what, there's time in my life when I feel all alone. I feel all alone forsaken by all you ever feel alone in your life you're the only one going through what you're going through no one understands and no one feels what you're feeling for david he was certainly there feeling all alone i find it insightful two things number one he says not if my father and mother forsake me but when when Secondly, he uses the, the parental reference as a picture of one of the closest earthly relationships, human relationships. Uh, what is a parent and a child relationship? Well, typically it is one of unwavering loyalty and support. The love is always there. Moms and dads always want to be there for their children when it's physically possible and they can. But there are times when even their closest family and friends, our loved ones, are not there or they cannot be there for us. They cannot touch our soul and our heart where it is. Though they may try, they may do everything they can, they cannot touch it. And in those moments, we feel all alone. David says there are times of loneliness in our lives. Times we feel forsaken by those closest to us. Certainly, Satan loves to influence us to think that we are all alone, that no one cares, that no one is there for us, that no one embraces us. I, I like the statement he uses in verse 7. He says, or, or verse 10, excuse me, the Lord will take me up. In other words, no one else will take me up. No one else will embrace me. No one else will be there for me. Um, are you there today? This morning, though, you sit in a congregation full of people. Do you feel alone? Something going on in your life, some troubles, some tribulations, and maybe because you haven't shared it with anyone, maybe because they have no inclination of what you face this week or this month, this year, you feel all alone. David sure did. He admits there's times when I feel forsaken by all earthly friends and loved ones. That's not all. Look at verse 13, if you will, with me. I don't know about you, but David sure is sounding human, isn't he? He is sure sounding like you and I in the struggles that we often face. Notice verse 13, and particularly the first part. He says this, I had fainted. <laughs> I had fainted unless 
I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Add to all these things, his fear of being fearful, his, the vexation of other people, the, the loneliness that, that he himself has experienced, the, um, the reality that uh, he has times of troubles. He admits that there are times where he felt overwhelmed, anxious, full of worry. The King James translators, you'll see those words are added in italics. Um, why? Because they understood and they, they, they knew the strong emotion that was tied that was tied to this verse. They understand, understood that there was a tipping point in David's life. You ever say, I'm done. That's it. I'm done. That's the, that's the last straw. <laughs> I can't take anymore. It's a tipping point. David said, listen, there are times in my life where I was going to faint. I felt overwhelmed. I, I just don't think I could get out of bed. I don't think I could move on. I couldn't keep going. Many times in his life during this sojourn here on earth, he, he, he felt that. In other words, he had reached a breaking point, right? He had reached a point where he was overwhelmed. He was about to faint. It was just too much. Unless. In a moment, we'll understand what that word unless leads to. But may I ask you this morning, are you where David often found himself? This morning, is there trials and tribulations, there's, there's troubles in your life that are never far from your mind. They sometimes consume your thinking. They keep you awake at night. They are the things that, uh, the things of life that overwhelm you and are tempted to cause you to be very anxious. Maybe it's just the simple, rig- normal rigmarole of life. But here is real life. These are the things that all believers of every age face. You and I, no matter if you stand in a pulpit or you sit in a pew, we all face these things. These are, these are the challenges to you and I in real life because of the troubles and the tribulations of life, the trials that come, the things that happen. As Jesus Christ himself said, in this world, there will be tribulations. There's going to be tough things, problems, pressures, you name it. It's going to happen. So how does David handle all these? He has just been very transparent with you and I. And I trust you and I would be transparent with the Lord this morning. You and I are not super Christians. You and I are not impervious to the struggles of this flesh. You and I I cannot say that, oh, we're just hunky-dory, everything's perfect all the time, everything else. No, friend, you and I can be like David. And we can say, you know what, there are times that I'm tempted to be fearful and afraid. There's other times, man, I'm just, my soul and my spirit are vexed by people who oppose me, unkind to me, whatever the case may be. Maybe other times you'll say, man, there's just so much trouble in my life right now. There's so many things happening and that, I don't know if I can handle it. Maybe the loneliness is about to consume you. Or maybe the simple reality is you just feel overwhelmed. You're anxious about things. You worry about things. You're tempted to allow that to consume you. Well, David shows us in his songs what he did. When each of these things happened in his life, he said, okay, here's what I did. Here are the things that helped me, that turned it all around in a sense, that, that made me be able to go through them and face each of these things as they happened in my life, okay? Number one, look at verse number seven, if you will. Look at verse number seven. Here's what he says. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. 
have mercy also upon me and answer me. Number one, he says this. Whenever these things come up in my life, number one, I've determined I will cry unto the Lord. I will cry unto the Lord. Time and time again, what do we see David doing? Praying to God, crying out to God. He does it emotionally, he does it continually, and he does it honestly. Laying his heart bare before our Lord. As he cries out to him for mercy, and as he even mentions here that he's waiting for God to answer his prayer. You know what I like? I think this is unique about the psalm, or special, shall I say, about the psalm. Throughout the psalm, we see the reoccurrence, or the abundance of the use of the term, the name for God, Lord, Jehovah. It is literally the name for God that indicates that he is a covenant-keeping God. Literally, that God keeps his promises. And so throughout it, David's reminding himself, I'm going to cry out to a God that keeps his promises. He's a covenant-keeping God. So in the worst of times, the God of great promises is faithfully there for us, ready to hear our prayers. You know what also he acknowledges? He, verse number one, he says, God, you are my light. In a dark world, in a dark storm, you are my light and you are my salvation, he says in verse number one. I'm going to cry out to you alone. There's nowhere else that I'm going to turn. There's nowhere else that I can cry unto but you. He's the salvation of his soul and his light for his daily life. Literally, he says, you are the strength of my life. Verse number one, he is the strength of my life. When that is true, then you can't but help cry out to him in the face of tribulation and trouble. Can I just encourage you this morning? I, I don't know where you are identifying with David this morning. I, I don't know whether you're fearful, afraid, feeling lonely. You're going through a time of trouble. Because I encourage you, do what David did. Would you start handling it by crying out to the Lord today? Just cry out to him. Pray to him. Cry out to him. That's where it all starts. It's the only way you and I are going to make it through times of troubles and tribulations. It's the only way that you and I are going to be able to handle it and face it in our lives and not be overwhelmed is to cry out to our Lord. But there's something else that David did. Look at verse number 6, if you will, with me. Look at verse number 6. He says this, And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. So number one, he says this, I will sing, I, I will cry unto the Lord. Number two, I will sing praises unto my Lord. So when troubles and trials come, I, I want to make sure that I am still praising my Lord. As we read verses 1 all the way down through 14 of this, this chapter, there are reasons, there is great hope uh, found in God, reasons to praise Him. There's much listed here that we can offer endless praise to our Lord. As we read verses 1 through 14, that's a, a seemingly endless list of the merciful and gracious works of our God in the midst of troubles. You read through there in the deliverance from enemies, the, the fact that he does so much, the goodness and the those are all wonderful. But can I tell you this morning, as even we've sung about today in this service, the fact is this. If none of those things were true, and the only thing that we had to hold on to was the fact that God is our salvation, as verse 1 and 9 state, that would be more than enough to sing praises to God. In the midst of any trial, tribulation, or trouble that you and I face, 
just the reality of our redemption that you and I, as the choir is saying, are only a sinner saved by grace. That you and I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, though we did not deserve it, though our sins were as filthy rags, the reality is we owe it all to Him, and He is worthy of praise because He has saved you and I. As we put our faith and trust in Him. So even in the midst of trials and tribulations, even if all the other things mentioned in this glorious psalm were not true, the fact is He is worthy of praise for the simple reality that He has saved us. And I would plead with you this morning to always remember this truth about praise. Why does David praise Him? Why did Paul and Silas praise him in the prison after they've been beaten and accused and persecuted for just preaching Christ? Why do believers of all ages, why, do they, why are they praising God in the midst of the most dire situations and circumstances? Here's why. Praise does not make your pain or problems disappear, but praise will bring you into the presence of the Lord. No matter the trial, no matter the trouble, no matter the tribulation. When you and I enter into praise in God, it ushers us into his presence. Oh, it doesn't make the problems or the pain disappear, the the trouble or the, the tribulation itself. But it does bring us into the very presence of God, and that's exactly what David speaks of. Look at verse number four, if you will. Verse number four. Notice what he says. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To behold the beauty of the Lord, to be in his house, to spend time in his presence. This morning, have you prayed about your trouble, your tribulation? Have you cried out to your God? Father, this is going on. You know it. I, I need your help. I need your grace. I don't know how to handle it. I need wisdom. Father, I, I, w- would you intercede? Would you work in this situation? Would you just do a mighty work? And as you cry out to him, that's important. David did it. Cry out to your God. Pray unto him. But could I encourage you with this simple truth? It's okay and right to weep before the Lord, to pour out the anguish, pain, and sorrow within your heart. But don't you dare leave your knees until you have at least praised Him for His salvation. Don't get up. Don't dry the tears until you take a moment you praise your God for His good salvation. For the things that He has blessed you with. Oh, that though life seems overwhelming, though it seems like it's going to just wear you out, boil you over, Praise your God. Cry out to Him. Praise Him. And that leads right next into the practical action. Because as that praise ushers us into His presence, then David says something in verse number 8. Notice it. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Number one, would you determine that when trials and troubles come when you're in a time of trouble cry unto the lord sing praises unto the lord and number three would you determine to seek the face of the lord seek to commune and fellowship with him verse number four speaks of to enter into that fellowship and communion simply being with him 
Verse number nine tells us that we can be assured that he will never forsake us as the God of our salvation. Uh, I love how David expresses that in verse number nine. He is, oh God of my salvation, don't leave me or forsake us. We know that he will not. He has saved us to never leave us or forsake us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And as I seek his face, his presence, verse 11 says, I do so so that he can teach me, so that he can lead me. Verse 11, you see it there. He says, teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. As we find ourselves in his presence, he can teach us. And that presence is found through time in his word and in prayer with him. It is the communion that he desires, that God himself desires. Verse number 8 speaks to this. And God says, seek me. I, I want to spend time with you seek my face come into my presence i i I, each one of you i want to spend time with you so seek my face come into my presence and then it also says and i like what david's answer to that as god expressed his desire for us to seek his face to spend time with him david said okay god if that's what you want it's my number one priority i'm going to seek your face I'm going to come into your presence. It's priority number one. As trouble surrounded him, and yea, every other time and all the other time of life, we should do it. I'm going to come into your presence. And yet, what do we know? Satan would use troubles and trials and tribulations to drive us from the face of God, while God wants them to drive us to seek his face. So, what are you doing today? With your troubles and your trouble and tribulations, are you, are you seeking God's face? Is it driving you to him or are you drifting away from his face? Are you determined to seek his face on a daily basis? Lord, I I don't want this trouble. I don't want this, this tribulation to drive me away. I want it to bring me closer to you. Father, I want to seek your face today. I want to spend time with you and commune and fellowship in your word and through prayer. Then we come down to the last thing that Paul, that David says, excuse me, he he said, I'm going to cry unto the, my Lord. I'm going to sing praises unto my Lord. I'm going to seek my Lord. And then verse number 14 gives us the last one. Notice it, if you will. He says this, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. Number four, how do you handle life's troubles and tribulations that we all face? We determine, I will wait on the Lord. I will wait on the Lord. And waiting on the Lord, you know what there is? There's an element of trust. It's spoken of in verse 13, the first part. and uh, Notice it, or the second part, excuse me. Look at verse 13. We read the first part. I had fainted. That's, I, I would have been overwhelmed. I, I would have been full of anxiety. I would have fainted. Unless I had believed, I trusted, to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Hey, can I just tell you, I am so very thankful that God's goodness is just not waiting in heaven, but it's here today. In this life, on earth, it's not just in, the, in heaven to come. No, God's goodness can be seen here on earth. And so David says, listen, if there's anything you do in the face of troubles and trials and tribulations, you just wait on the Lord because he is good. He is good. You will see his goodness. 
So just wait on the Lord. Trust it. We remind that when I can't see his hand at work, when I don't know what God is doing behind the scenes, when I, I don't understand his plan, I must determine to keep on trusting him, waiting on him. I found this true as we often look throughout the scriptures and certainly experientially too. You know what God does? God often does his greatest work in silence. God often does his greatest work in silence. And my friend, the fact is this, it would do us well to remember that God's silence does not indicate absence. You may not know what God's doing. He may not have made it crystal clear in your life. He may not have given you any glimpse of an idea of why you're going through this trouble and this tribulation. There may be no indicators. There may be no wisdom given to you, but you can be assured this. His silence does not mean he's absent. He's still working. He is a good and gracious God. Wait on him. And I like what David says here. Be of good courage. You know, David, understand, God's still always there. He's still on the throne. And you will see his goodness in time, even here on earth. William Cooper, for all his bouts of depression, for all his struggles with with, darkness and so forth and this life and the times and the troubles and things that he faced with all of that there were times in his life where he understood what god was doing he expressed such a truth in one poem that he wrote it's entitled light shining out of darkness i think it's aptly titled because right now you may be going through a dark time but as you cry unto the lord as you praise the Lord, as you seek the face of the Lord, and as you wait on the Lord, can I tell you, my friend, God is a light in the darkness. And I believe William Cooper understood that. He grasped it. Here's what he wrote in his poem. Don't miss it. He says this, God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plans His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. Kind of sounds like David, isn't it? Be of good courage. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, human reasoning, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. Can I tell you, in spite of all that He faced and the depression and everything else, it's clear there are times that William Cooper understood what David has put before us in this psalm. The storms will come. But along with those storms comes the mercy and goodness of God. Darkness will sometimes envelop you. But you can always trust that there is a God working His sovereign will in your life. Just wait on Him. My friend David has said it well for you and I today. Oh, we certainly don't know. I don't know what troubles you face, what tribulations are going on in your life. Though I do know this, they are common to all of us. 
So could I encourage you this morning, would you be like David? Number one, would you cry unto the Lord? Father, you know I'm going through this. I need your strength. I need your grace for today. Would you just help me? Number two, would you praise him? As you cry out to him, as you share and bear your burdens and your heart before an almighty God, would you take the time to praise him at the very least for his salvation? And then number three, could I encourage you, seek his face. Get in his word. Spend more time in prayer. Desire fellowship and communion with your God. Then last but not least, my friend, will you wait on the Lord? Father, help me to be of good courage as I go through this. As I walk this valley, my Father, would you just help me to wait on you? Because I know in time we will see even the goodness of our God among the living. Help me to trust in you. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the encouragement it's been to myself. And Father, just a reminder of what life is full of. And Lord, though you have yourself instructed us that life is going to be full of tribulations and trouble, Father, you have not left us without the grace necessary to face each and every one of the troubles and tribulations we find ourselves in. Father, I'm also grateful that the writers of the Old Testament that you used were real people. That like as Christ was, Lord, that they have experienced what we experience. The temptation to, to be fearful, to be afraid. The, the, the temptation to allow our, our hearts to be overwhelmed with the treatment of others. That, Father, the loneliness we sometimes face. The anxiety, the worry, the sense of being overwhelmed. Father, the times of trouble, how real it is to each and every one of our lives. And yet, Father, I'm so very grateful that we have the means from your word by which to face them, handle them, to, to now allow them to overtake us and overwhelm us. So my Father, this week, I certainly don't know what the future holds for each person that has joined me here in this auditorium but I sure am thankful you've given us everything we need to face life. So, Father, this week I would pray that even as we make a determination, we make a decision in this invitation to do so, I, I pray we'd, we would cry unto you this week. May there be many a prayer offered to you as we share our burdens and cast our care upon you. Father, I pray likewise that in those prayers you would find us a praising people. Believers who are praising you for the salvation you've given us and all the blessings we have from your hand. May we never find ourselves being people who only pray about our needs, but may we also include our praises for a great God. And Father, I pray likewise that we would be a people that seek you this week. May we seek you in your word. May we seek you in prayer, the communion and fellowship you even desire for us to have with you. May we pursue it this week and then father i pray that as we walk this journey as we live this life may we wait on thee trusting believing being of good courage because we serve a good and great god help us to wait on you even in the midst of our troubles and our tribulations lord be it this this week help us to live it out now work in this invitation father